Hey, Rachel. Hello, Brian. So how was your week? Well, you know the feeling when you're in the middle of an out-of-control pandemic and half of your countrymen thinks that it's an act of patriotism to get together with elderly relatives and spread a virus? I can think no of no greater way to give thanks than to give the <laughs> gift of COVID to your family. Whoa, that's a no. Well, this is nope. <laughs> the podcast where we shut it down. My name is no, my sign is no, my number is no. You need to let it go, you need to let it go, need to let it go. Okay, here we are doing a Thanksgiving episode because we realized when we were counting our thanks that one thing we're very thankful for is you, our podcast listeners, Rachel, you and I. I think we're thankful, so thankful for each other. I'm thankful for you. And we figured we'd all celebrate together yeah. with with a sh episode, albeit a short episode, because uh, we're ready to uh, wind down the week and get start drinking and eating and feasting and whatever else you do. Yeah. And we're respectful of your time. <laughs> We've never been respectful of your time before. <laughs> Why is tonight different try, from all other nights? Well, we try to keep it relatively tight. We, We're always like, like, let's keep it 30 minutes or under, and then it's like 49 minutes. It's always over. like 41, 42, but, you know, we, we, we make an effort. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, Rachel, anything interesting happened to you while uh, you were building up to Thanksgiving this week? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm writing cards to voters in Georgia. Like and Christmas so cards? Like, like um, cards. postcards oh, to, to tell them to vote. So uh, I signed up to do 60 and I've done half of them and my hand is like falling off. Like, cause I, I don't you really write. We don't write anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of type and I'll, I'll write to like make a grocery list or like to take some notes, but like, I don't really write. And the, the script for these cards that I'm sending out to these people is quite long. And I realized halfway through writing these cards that maybe I should proofread what I'm writing against this, <laughs> the script that they provided. Well, you and think you might have like gone off script and started off improvising. <laughs> I was just sort of, yeah. And they Riffing. said not to. And I, I thought it was all correct, except I'd been spelling um, John Ossoff's name wrong. And I, I spelled Wait, with it too with many S, S's and F's are confusing. One, yeah, exactly, right? So I forgot that he had two S's and two F's. I, oh. I was like, surely it can't be two of both. So I put one <laughs> that would S. Be excessive. <laughs> right. I put one S and two F's. And so then I had to go back and make like a little squiggle in each card because I like, I'm sitting here thinking I'm John Ossoff's like biggest fan. And I'm disrespecting him by misspelling no, his you're, name. You're, you're merely passing the Turing test. It shows that it was written by a real person, not by a signing computer. I think uh, I support oh, your, your oh, right okay. to misspell Joel, John, John or Joel. Well, I, John I corrected it, thankfully, and I still have 30 more to go. I don't know. My my hand is literally like blistered and like falling off. I was going to volunteer arm. to do that because it sounds better than the mortifying task of talking to people over the phone. Which I you... did for Texas. Which right was didn't help also much. mortifying sure. yeah it didn't help it didn't move the needle <laughs> and it didn't move your soul and now you've dissuaded me from uh writing postcards and i guess i'll oh, great. just write i'll just write more checks <laughs> i'm like a demotivational speaker <laughs> <laughs> okay so for me i had a very unique experience this week um i uh went out dancing um 
now. In the I middle of see, a pandemic. Yes, I can see the judgmental <laughs> and skeptical look in your eye, but I do have an asterisk on that, of course. Um, so uh, two of my friends and I went to Bell Rev, which you know, which is kind of like the Tribeca dive bar on the corner. And it's like my cheers. They know me there and they're open and they have 25% indoor dining. So I met two of my friends, a married couple there, and we had uh, drinks there and there was like nobody in there. There was one other table on the other side of the restaurant, felt completely safe. The, the server and the bartender wear masks and are super respectful. I felt as safe there as you could in any public place, basically. And um, we had drinks and we ate food out of a box. That's the first place I had the food in a box, which I don't love. But I found this interesting way to dissemble the box. So it's almost like a plate. Um, it's an innovation that I bring to the pandemic. <laughs> bring it to the table. <laughs> get to the table and they're like it's a hip place they're jamming like retro 90s tunes and then there's like a, a last call at 10 p.m you know mm -hmm. it's a good good thing um but they know me very well so like they booted the other table out and they're like wait one minute and they pull the drapes they pull the curtains that look out on the street they turn up the music and they're like okay we get to dance to two songs and me and my table and then the socially distanced two women who work there they cranked up salt and pepper shoop shoop a doop oh and my what god a man, what a, a delight man. and so it was and and i danced with my little pod and they danced with each other and like it wound up being this like little capsule of joy that reminded me six minutes it reminded me of what the world used to be my, like it was oh, my own personal yeah. rave and i was so happy by it that's I really stop touching it. yeah Aww. so i think it was i think it was perfectly safe and it's those little moments of joy that get us through that, that was a yup i mean i could have done it total yup yup yeah, absolutely. So that's that was my. High I point. love Bell Rev. I miss going there. I, miss, I know. Uh, I know. I hope it stays there. Grace and you know the whole yeah. schmagoo. So anyway, we have um we have a couple of nopes, not too many. We have some nopes and some yups, but I have a bonus <laughs> nope that you don't know about, Rachel, and I'm gonna pop oh. it in here, <laughs> unauthorized. Well, good. I'm, uh, I'm finding out about it right now. Okay. So, I, the reason I'm slotting this in is that it's an urgent follow up for not one, but two stories that we did last week. Sometimes we'll have a, a, a follow-up from one story. This is two stories converging. The two stories okay. I'm referring to, if you listened last week to the audience, was number one about uh, the, the the hikers who were boiling chickens in Yellowstone National Park <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and were served with summonses for their, for their desecration of our national treasure. And the second one is also about the desecration of a national treasure. It was about the Irish cows itching themselves against Bronze Age stone ruins <laughs> and knocking them over, a causing, a causing widespread misfortune that could be cured only by druids. Um, right. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to last week. It's worth it. So um, I was reading the Times this morning and my actually Doug spotted it and showed it to me, not because he had listened to the podcast, just because it struck him as funny. Um, and it was a story my eyes popped out of my head. It takes place in Jasper National Park, which is a 2.8 million acre national park in Western Alberta, where there have suddenly signs have popped up that say, do not let moose lick your car. Um, and uh, the... <laughs> So, um, let how yes. can you control what a moose does? <laughs> right. Like... <laughs> so there are there are three main questions that the Times highlights here. All very valid questions. Number one, 
what happens if a moose licks your car? <laughs> number right. two, is it really that big of a problem? And number three, <laughs> number three is exactly how would you stop them if they start licking your car? Would you ask them nicely? Like, <laughs> oh, I don't understand. I don't so it turns out the problem is that when driving in icy, snowy Canada, you get salt on your car and the moose love the salt. So they'd want to try and come and lick the salt. Oh, off it's like of a salt car. lick. Exactly like a salt lick. Right. So they, they contacted the park ranger, the head of the park, and they said, okay, so how do you, how do you, Exactly how do you uh, propose that we stop moose from licking our car, since that's part of your advice? And his answer was very intuitive. He said, stay out of licking range, but <laughs> keep beyond moose tongue distance by moving on before a moose approaches. And they asked him, how long is a moose tongue? Um, and he said, I actually don't know how long a moose tongue is. So this is Canada's version of social distancing for the pandemic. This is moose tongue. Moose the land distancing. of a moose tongue. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, six six uh, feet is the is the social distancing of moose world. I have another question. Do people <laughs> get out of their cars in, in Alberta and stop moving? Because like, what if the car is parked? And a no, moose it's not like a drive through safari, like a great adventure. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. And like this guy is like, just keep it moving. But what if <laughs> that's what he's the saying, vehicle's right? not in motion? <laughs> As if you'd pause to admire the moose. I think that's the problem. I think yes. I yeah, think there's okay. a lot of issues. So with anyway, I, to wrap okay. to wrap this up, I will just go back to one of our, our earliest and most frequent tropes that we never say anymore, but I will say it with pride. Animals and humans should not mix. Not mix. You stay in your lane. Stay in your animals. lane. You, you each have a lovely lane. Cars, stay in your lane. Moose, stay in the woods. Stay there. Don't mix. Okay. Uh, let's go on to the actual notes that we planned on doing. I hope that was worth the diversion. Um, so uh, as the Trump era winds down, uh, talk has turned to pardons. And um, even before today's news that just broke before we were on the recording here that he's pardoning Michael Flynn, you know, there was all these questions. Is he going to pardon him himself? Is he going to pardon his family? Um, and, you know, there's all this recent stuff now for the transition. He's pardoning Flynn. He also commuted Roger Stone. They're expecting him to pardon Manafort and Bannon. But this triggered it's a so certain... so disgusting. This it's just unacceptable. <laughs> this triggered okay. a certain nostalgia in me. And I realized I should look back at some of the finest pardons. Um, and we've spoken about many of these individually. Um, but, you know, may maybe the next few weeks we'll do a nostalgic look back at the Trump era now that it's done and we can look back and chuckle at some of it. Um, and you might think that one of Trump's few talents, or at least the only part he enjoyed about the job, is pardoning people. But it turns out that he failed at this too. Because even though it seems like he pardoned a lot of people, he commuted 16 sentences and pardoned 28 people. Obama commuted 1,715 sentences and pardoned 212. Wow. So you must therefore say, well, Trump, maybe he was just really selective. Maybe he wasn't just pardoning people left and right. He saved his ammo for the really good ones. And this is where we can review some of his greatest hits, which were, of course, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, oh, yes. Scooter Libby of the CIA leak scandal, Dinesh D'Souza, just the horrible 9-11 conspiracy theorist, 
Bernie Carrick, the corrupt former New York City police commissioner, and of course, Susan B. Anthony, who desperately needed his pardon. Oh, yes. So she, she was a criminal, like one of our worst criminals. <laughs> one of our world's of all time. finest dead, living dead criminals. <laughs> so much so that she's on the face of a coin that we then discontinued. Um, but <laughs> some say that he always saved his best work for turkeys, right? So there's the ridiculous sort of cornball Thanksgiving pardoning of the turkeys. And he did it this year. The two turkeys were named Corn and Cobb. And as opposed to the normal podium where he gives up and he, he sort of uses it as a stand-up uh, thing, he gave his statement was sort of dour and it was one out one minute and 12 seconds, which is about the same length as the press conference he gave to claim credit for Dow hitting 30,000, which he deserves no credit for, and which neither of which did he mention the quarter of a million lives lost in coronavirus. Um, well, he gets credit for it insofar that it's the result of him stepping down and like <laughs> leaving. Exactly. No, that's right. It's a town, town 30,000. But even, even the pardoning of the turkeys was a, a dour, terse affair this year. But last year, he made a little quip. He said, I expect this pardon will be a very popular one with the media. After all, turkeys are closely related to vultures. Har, har, har. So stupid joke. But the, but the best one, the one for the history books, was 2018 where there were two turkeys involved called peas and carrots. Do you remember this? Yes. Um, and I think there we was talked a, about this. There was a national poll for which of the two turkeys should be pardoned, and peas won and carrots lost. And way back then, two years ago, Trump said this. He said, that turkey is so lucky. I've never seen such a beautiful turkey. He said that, it was that uh, uh, peas won in a fair and open election. Unfortunately, carrots refused to concede and demanded a recount, and we're still fighting with carrots. But I'll tell you, we've come to a conclusion. Carrots, I'm sorry to tell you, the results did not change. What an amazing foresight. Like, he's like a soothsayer. Wow. Soothsayer and a seer. He, <laughs> he, he was like, maybe I'll just adopt the carrots strategy. He, lost. he was like, remember what carrots did? I can <laughs> see. Carrots on this. I can, I can see him going to Mick Mulvaney's like, or Rudy, Rudy, get me carrots. Uh, sir, uh, Carrots is dead. He's the one who lost. Oh, get me peas. No, but peas is the Biden in this scenario. Fuck peas. Get me, get me corn or cob or get me, get me someone. That's the, that actually is what the legal strategy came down to. It was the that peas is... and carrots strategy. That was the legal yes. precedent as decided in the uh, 2019 Supreme Court case, peas v. Carrots. <laughs> And that's why uh, Pease is now running around uh, a free turkey somewhere out in Turkey land. Okay, that, that was that was brief, but that was my, my nope goes to, what does it go to? Pardons to peas and carrots to corn and cob? I don't know. Just Th carrots. This, this pardon thing is an anachronism. I know it's like in like a core, it's written explicitly in the, in the Constitution, but that doesn't make it right. And, you know, it's not just Trump. There's all, it, there's always these political, like Mark Rich and Bill Clinton, like there's all these 
you know, lame. Take it away. There should be a constitutional amendment. No more pardons. We need to no rewrite more... the whole constitution no. after this disaster. Like, let's just start from scratch. Like, let's, whatever, adopt Canada's constitution as a starting point. Let's convene something. a constitutional, constitutional convention. convention. <laughs> Could you imagine who yeah, the founding fathers and mothers would be? That would be, what a shit show that would be. Could you imagine? Oh, gosh. They'd the nominate, like, Newt Gingrich and Rich Sa- oh, Rick Santorum and... Steve Ted Bannon, Cruz. Steve <laughs> Bannon, and Marco Rubio would be the. It's all too disgusting. To okay, nope, 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 nope. To the nope. Constitution as written with respect to the pardon clause. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Very specific. So speaking note. of turkeys and pardons, I want to talk about Sidney Powell. Um, Sidney Powell is a woman who is a lawyer and she was or Wait, was that's, assumed that's to about, be that's the best you could say about her she's a woman and oh, a lawyer yeah. and the lawyer is in dispute she was assumed to be part of donald trump's legal team but um before i say anything further about her i want to play a clip of something she said recently about a lawsuit she was planning to file in georgia And this is from an interview with Newsmax that she did because not even Fox News will speak to her anymore. Yeah, that's a total farce. Georgia is probably going to be the first state I'm going to blow up. And and Mr. Kemp and the Secretary of State need to go with it because they're in on the Dominion scam with their last minute purchase or award of a contract to Dominion of $100 million dollars. The State Bureau of Investigation for Georgia ought to be looking into the financial benefits received by Mr. Kemp and and, uh, the Secretary of State's family about that time. And another benefit Dominion was created to award is what I would call election insurance. That's why Hugo Chavez had it created in the first place. But I also wonder where he got the technology, where it actually came from, because I think it's hammer and scorecard from the CIA. Just to clarify, you're saying that Governor Kemp, who's been a longtime ally of the president, is it is directly involved because of financial benefit in the conspiracy to defeat the president in Georgia? We have certainly been told that there is evidence of that and it would warrant an investigation if anybody were actually going to do an honest investigation. What more could you tell us about that alleged conspiracy? Is the governor's involved? I can't. Yeah, I can't give you any more details on that now, but it would certainly warrant an investigation. Jordan. If it had been reported to me as a law enforcement officer, I would be investigating it steadfastly. You, you know, I know you say you, you want to do your arguing in court. You are an attorney. You're not a press secretary. But you all did have a press conference last week. Jordan Sekulow said that there's going to be a filing soon in Georgia that would be explosive. Can you tell us anything? Can you make some news with us here tonight? Tell us anything new that you're going to present in that filing in Georgia? Well, I'm, I, I can't say that yet. But hopefully this week we will we will get it ready to file. Sydney, what's and it, it will it will be biblical. Okay, cuckoo. Yes. Okay, so so just to summarize what she's saying here, the Republican governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, and the Republican Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger conspired with Hugo Chavez, <laughs> who is dead. To rig Dominion voting machines so that Doug Collins wouldn't be part of the Senate runoff in Georgia. 
sure, it's as plausible <laughs> as any other story. It's like Occam's Razor. <laughs> like, right? Like clearly. It's the, easiest, <laughs> it's the easiest explanation for everything. So, okay, the bigger question is, who is Sidney Powell and what is she doing here? I mean, she's a total insaniac, obviously, and she's the author of a book called License to Lie, which she very much is. <laughs> That alone should get her disbarred if she's a lawyer. I know. If she's actually a lawyer in good standing. Um, and she was Michael Flynn's lawyer, you oh. know? So, yeah. Um, so I guess uh, she did a great job there. Um, and then she joined Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis after the election as part of what uh, Jenna Ellis called an elite strike force team. Um, of these legal eagles soaring <laughs> way over eagles. our heads. Like the movie from the 80s? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there was a, there's a press conference earlier this week when Jenna Ellis stood in front of a podium with Rudy Giuliani, whose face was dripping some kind of brown substance, and Sidney Powell in a leopard twin set, and they all had their turn just spouting insanity. But then the next day, Jenna Ellis released a cryptic press release on behalf of herself and Rudy Giuliani, and it said this, quote, Sidney Powell is practicing law on her own. She is not a member of the Trump legal team. She is also not a lawyer for the president in his personal capacity. So Do you know when Rudy and Jenna Ellis have disowned you <laughs> on legal grounds, you know you've hit rock bottom. You've like, hit like unprecedented <laughs> crazy like you're, you're now in like the earth's you've surpassed the earth's mantle and you're now in the earth's core like there is no... The there's no lower you can go um but like the the statement was so confusing and so they you know the press reached out to sydney powell and then she released an even weirder statement saying i agree with the statement I will represent hashtag we the people and seek the truth, capital T. I intend to expose all the fraud and let the chips fall where they may. We will not allow the foundations of this great republic to be destroyed by abject fraud. So I guess the question is, if Sidney Powell was not part of the legal team and is not a lawyer for the president in a personal capacity, what has she been doing on stage with Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis for the last three weeks? Was she just like in town and like a fan of their work and they were like come on up and want to meet for coffee <laughs> or on stage with us representing the president yeah. of the united states yeah why not yeah sure. why not why not just buckle up and put on your tinfoil hat she might and... be she might be the best of those three lawyers that's the thing she was like that's... bringing the, she was bringing her a game like she was the she was like almost in tears she looked so insane she just unleashed the fury um or should i say Release the Kraken. And so this is the final <laughs> yes. word I have. Oh, wait, I saw that meme. Right? Went so, around and, but I don't know what it's referring to. I always turn to you to explain the memes that I see and don't yeah, know what Yeah, I was really confused by this too. So the first line in Sidney Powell's Twitter bio is hashtag Kraken. And then it was trending on Twitter and I had no idea what it was. So I had to Google it. And um, it took me down another insane wormhole. So according to Wikipedia, the Kraken is a legendary sea monster of no, gigantic it's from Clash of the size. Titans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. So, and so release the Kraken, it's a catchphrase from Clash of the Titans based on the Greek myth of Perseus. And now it's being co-opted by the far right, like Pepe the Frog and the Boogaloo and the Frazzle Drip and, you know, all these things we've <laughs> talked about <laughs> to refer to this alleged fraud conspiracy. Yeah. Okay. And the conspiracy itself stems from a Fox business network appearance on Friday the 13th, appropriately, by Sidney Powell. So during the interview with Lou Dobbs, uh, Powell said that Trump's team had voluminous evidence that it had planned to release to overturn election results in key states. And she said that there's evidence that Trump won the election in a landslide and that voter fraud had been, quote, organized and conducted with the help of Silicon Valley people, the big tech companies, the social media companies, and even the media companies. And she ended by saying, I'm going to release the crack. <laughs> so, so needless to expect, say. At that point, I expect her to like unbutton her skirt or something or like. Or like off rip her- off her mask and turn into like an alien or something. But no, the Kraken has not been released. Um, it's been all this time. They are always, all these Trump people. People are always like spinning up these stories about all the evidence they have and they never released it. Remember, Rudy had that counter report to the Mueller report that was 842 pages. It's always and binders. It was, it's always but it's always in it's binders. just like empty binders. binders so I don't know. Yeah. I Yeah, I don't know if Sidney Powell needs to be arrested or committed or both, <laughs> but she definitely needs to be disbarred. So nope to Sidney Powell. Nope to the Kraken. Stop the insanity. I can't take it anymore. I hope I never hear about this person ever again. <laughs> She'll be a trivia question. And unfortunately, there's no way of predicting all this like, you know, rogues gallery. Some of them will be forgotten, um, you know, antiheroes of the Trump era. And some of them may wind up as president in 2028. We have no idea. We have no idea. Anything's possible. Yeah. Okay, We're limiting the length here to just a few nopes. Uh, So since we're coming into Thanksgiving, we figured we'd focus on a few yups. Uh, These are the little rays of light, the beacons of hope that got us through the week. Rachel, you have a really nice one. Yeah. Um, well, before I go into the yups, I want to just <laughs> apologize to somebody. <laughs> Sky Parrot. Sure. Go ahead. Did we did we make a factual error? No, she, we were just making fun of the Playgirl relaunch. And I didn't realize that she was a close friend of my sister's. So Sky Parrot, I fall on the sword and I wish you all the, the best in your relaunch of Playgirl with Chloe Sevigny on the cover. Okay, but to be clear, that's not a correction. That's a change of heart. <laughs> it's a change of heart. Okay. It's a change of heart. Well, it's not really a change of heart because I didn't know the story. It was your story. Yes. Oh, so, oh, so throw me under the I bus. was just, I was reacting to it, hearing it the first time, and I couldn't have possibly known that I had a direct connection to editor-in-chief Sky Parrott. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Sky I defer. How about this? I defer to Rachel's clarification, change of heart. Call it a correction. Why not? I'm in a generous mood. Um, and again, you're you're welcome to come on the podcast. Yeah, anytime. yeah. Okay. Most importantly, yeah. Okay, let's do some yups. Okay, okay. Um, so yep. Oh, I do have one other <laughs> correction. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know about Sorry. this one either. What is it? So, so Louisa Benyon. <laughs> My college roommate, the one who told me about the story about the Druids last week. Who lives week. in Brittany, we, yes. Yes. 
we said that she played the flute. <laughs> what she plays is the concertina, oh. which is basically <laughs> like a uh, what's it called? Accordion. An accordion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So far now, that that's a, a correction I can get behind. A flute is not a concertina. <laughs> Never the twain shall meet. And we very much regret the error, both to you, Louisa, and to the flute and the concertina. (laughs) (laughs) We we will do our best to make good on our error. And um, Louisa, we'd love to have you on as a guest to explain a lot about the concertina. It'll get a yup for us. She can perform. Yeah. Why Why don't we give a bonus yup to the concertina? Okay. <laughs> okay. So we can go to the ups now. Yes. Now okay. that I've Okay. <laughs> okay. So um my up this week goes to um Joe Biden's cabinet picks, which is they've been just a diverse group of experienced, competent people. And it feels so new and refreshing. And it shouldn't, but it's just great. And I I wanted to give a special shout out to Janet Yellen, who will become the first woman to hold the job of Treasury Secretary. She's a labor economist. She's well positioned to lead the new administration's efforts to recover from the coronavirus. She used to lead the Federal Reserve, so she'll be great at coordinating the response between the Fed and the Treasury. And she's just a brilliant person. She's no um, producer of Suicide Squad, like the current Treasury (laughs) secretary but i think she'll she'll do a very right. good job and i'm i'm glad uh biden is uh committed to bringing women and and uh breaking that glass ceiling there as opposed to trump who would bring in like a betsy devos as part of his representation as is uh, right. commitment to gender representation um, amy coney whatever her name is face fuck. yeah <laughs> didn't take us long to sour on her <laughs> Um, but Janet Yellen is a mastermind in her own right. She need not be part of anyone's representation scheme. She, anybody, any president would be lucky to have her as treasury secretary. Okay. I have a very different yup. Um, so this week I was caught up in a whirlwind of Anglophilia by watching the crown. And, um, I was at the end of one book and I decided I was looking for another book to read and up on my shelf, I saw it, it was an impulse, and I decided to reread Howard's End by E.M. Forster. And oh. it's such an old copy. I think I read it when I was 23. It, there was a picture of like Helena Bonham Carter, who played one of the ladies in the, in the thing, and it says, based on the new hit movie starring Helena Bonham Carter. And the movie came out in like 1993. Wow. Right. So anyway, so here's the thing. I love reading fiction, but I'm not like a deep reader. Like I like storytelling and plot and characters like a good Stephen King or something. But I've never really understood like literary analysis or abstract questions like, what is the relationship between beauty and class in E.M. Forster's novels? I'm like, that's so fucking vague, beauty and class. Like, how do you expect me to answer that? So maybe because I'm older now and I'm Mm rereading Howard's End several decades on, I think I finally Got it. And I wasn't planning to. There was like this incredible passage about beauty. It was about Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And then it was echoed very subtly later when when two characters were talking about the symphony, but then they were also talking about class. And I had this epiphany and suddenly it all made sense. I'm like, that's the power of literature. I'm like, I finally understand how to read. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So and suddenly it all it all made sense to me. 
So now I can revisit all the classes. I classics. should read that book. I'll put it on my list. It's really good. All the classics that I just I ordered Middlemarch. Oh, that's a great book. That's another one have that you like, read Middlemarch. I have. Yeah. I I put it on my to do list. This week it was like <laughs> read Middlemarch. Clean the cupboard. <laughs> Teach AJ algebra. Read Middlemarch. That, that's a one night project, easily. It's like very ambitious. When I saw, I, I don't know why I wrote it. I guess I saw some tweeting about it or something. So I wrote it down on my list. And then I went back and looked at my list. I was like, Jesus Christ. Fuck that. Like, I'm, I'm not really setting March. myself up for failure. One year later, you're like, right. the Kindle's like 15% of the way through Middlemarch. So, yes. Okay, well, those were nice little things. So my yup, I guess, goes to Howard's End or to literature in general. Um, okay, well, that wraps up our brief, thankfully brief, Thanksgiving thankfully, episode. Yeah. Um, once again, Rachel, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you too, Brian. And, and um, everyone, have a good and safe Thanksgiving, please. Yeah, yeah. Just stay with your nearest and dearest and don't go get anyone sick. Uh the best Thanksgiving you can have this year is Thanksgiving next year, as they say. Yep. Don't go on a walkabout. No. Or you walk about, but just <laughs> by yourself wearing a mask in the desert. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening. It's been a pretty terrible week, but this was fun. I'm glad we did this podcast. This has been Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. Wanna be my new friend? We got a lot in